Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are Glad that you're listening today. This is normally a call-in show, and guess what it is today still? (laughs) So we've got the holidays coming up, and uh, I've got a couple of really good recorded shows we're going to play for you. Uh, So I hope you'll continue to tune in. Uh, But today is live. Yep, I'm here live, if not lively. Uh, So (laughs) if you would like to give us a call, the number is 979-845-845. 5689 979-845-5689. Uh, I was thinking about uh, different things going on right now out in the garden and out in the landscape. And I know everybody's brain is on holidays right now. Uh, some of you are already off uh, of work. Those, If there are any students that are listening, you're done with that for now. Uh, but I would just like to give you a few tips that I think will be useful as we go on into uh, the holiday season. Right now, we're we're looking at um, no severely cold weather on the horizon, but we expect that we'll get it. We know it just takes takes time to come. I uh, have told you before, but there's a publication on AgriLife Learn that I wrote with um, uh, Dr. Monty Nesbitt from Texas A&M Horticulture Department. And that uh, publication is just pretty much everything you need to know about dealing with frosts and freezes. I've talked about it before on the show, uh, but I realize that uh, not everybody listens to every show. So I'll just make a few comments on it. It's nine pages, full color. Uh, it's got um, an understand, uh, it's got a, it helps you understand how frost and freeze happens. And I know you're thinking, well, it's because it gets cold, right? No, but there's there's a little more to it than that. There's a difference between frosts and freezes, certainly, and there's different kinds of freezes. We have different kinds we deal with. And so when we have that kind of situation, uh, it the way we protect our plants may vary just a little bit, or certainly the degree to which we protect our plants uh, will vary a little bit. Uh, I'm going to pause on that and come back to the frost freeze in a minute. Uh, remember our number, 845-5689. And right now we're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning, Skip. Good morning. Uh, I was wondering if you ever had a chance to look at the seeds that I dropped off there when I left with your secretary or somebody. There. That uh, Was yeah. that the... Okay, wait a minute. Little, John, that's been a little long time. Well, you you haven't been there for a while. Yeah, I know. I've been. <laughs> I I got back in the office after two weeks away, almost. So, uh, describe them to me if you would. How big were they? These were the little looked almost like the size of an acorn. Uh, they were green, and it looked like maybe it had a little little root on one end of it or, or not. It, yeah, they're hard. Yeah, I, I I I do remember that. I I could not tell what that is. Uh, it, it, okay. The, the root on the end, you know, made me makes me wonder if it's some type of a bulb form, uh, not the bulb like onion where you got leaves coming out one end, but the bulb bill. The the those are little things that form on the sides of stems and fall off to the ground. And certain 
certain uh, types of plants will form bulb bulbils, especially in the uh, bulbing type plants. Uh, but I, well, I, it didn't ring any bells. I haven't seen those before. It, it is definitely a bulb plant. I mean, it it's got a bulb at the bottom of it. I mean, it's in the ground. Right. But anyway, I, I just want, we still wonder, next year, we promise that we'll really take a picture of the flowers and the whole plant. And yeah. You'll now, have a better, better chance. I've had several uh, stumper types <laughs> of, uh, of questions like that. Uh, but you didn't send me a picture on, of that, did you? I did, but but that's even been longer ago. Uh -huh, I mean, but that was it was a bluish, the bluish green types of things on the stalks. I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was looking through my photos the other day, and I ran across those again, and I just remember thinking, man, I don't. I, what I need to do, and it's just a matter of being being ready to get it done, is uh, send them to some bulb experts that I know and see if they uh, can solve them. I I messed around a little bit with some online searches in places where I thought I'd run across an answer, but I, I just didn't. Yep, I, I, I really don't waste your time on it right now. This Wait till next year, next spring, summer, and I'll, I'll collect some pictures and more information and well, if it give you a better yeah, yeah, if it flowers, we can do that. That's easy, uh, hands down. Uh, but yeah, well, I'm curious myself, John, I, you know, uh, somebody sent me a question, uh, just, a, I answered it just a little bit ago. Um, and, uh, it was, it was asking me, uh, can you freeze tomatoes and then plant the seeds inside, uh, you know, that of the frozen fruit. And I thought, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I, I, I don't know anybody that's tried that. And, and you know, when we do seeds, we let them dry and that gets the water content out. So when you freeze them, it's they, they keep longer. Uh, but I don't know if you'd form crystals in there that might kill an embryo on a seed. Have you ever tried that, yeah. planting seeds out of a frozen no. tomato? No, I have not. In fact, I've never heard of anybody thinking about that. Me, uh, me neither. It, it looks like, it's like the ice the expansion in the seed would, would mess it up. I would think so, but uh, I told them plant some and tell me because you know one thing about <laughs> one thing about gardening is it's it's always something new. I've been doing this thirty five years, and I well I've been gardening longer than that, uh, but I, I always learn something new. Or I get a question. It's like in thirty five years, no one's ever asked me if you can plant seeds out of a frozen tomato before. <laughs> so. Well, that, that that's a new one on me too. I don't. I've never heard uh, anybody, yeah. not just a tomato, any seed. Yeah. But. Well, you know, and it. But it reminds me. You were talking about your your bulb-like plant. Uh, I want to know myself. So, uh, yeah, if it get when it blooms, let's talk about it. But I would just say, in the meantime, uh, I need to figure that out. In the in the last three years, it's come back stronger every year. The first time we ever saw it way out there in the edge of the yard uh it was just one stalk with you know one thing of flowers on top of it uh -huh. but this last last year there's at least five or six stalks now and uh and lots of flowers so next i mean i i don't so it, it's gone through some pretty tough winters uh, and uh yeah. so I, I i fully expect it to come back next year and it's so far away we don't ever watered or anything it just yeah. comes up every year are, are the blooms worth having 
they're beautiful. Okay. Beautiful white. Uh, nice looking flowers. Okay. Well, good. Well, I will. I'll keep pursuing it, and uh, eventually we need to figure it out. Well, it gives us a project to work on for next year. That's it. (laughs) Keep you and I out of trouble uh, all through the holidays. Exactly. Exactly. Have a Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you for the the call. I appreciate that. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689. And if you want to email me, it's gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu we're going to go now back to the phone and talk to Catherine. hello Catherine. hello skip good to hear you um my question is about clover when it is growing in my yard or in my garden bed mm-hmm. i feel like i've read that clover is actually nutritious for the soil for other plants so do I just let it be or turn it over at a certain point? Yeah, it's a, there's pros and cons with, as with a lot of things. So the pro is that it does fix nitrogen and nodules on its roots that then hmm. can be released into the soil. It takes nitrogen from the air and it has a bacteria associated with it that's able to do that. Uh, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing thing. Uh, but that's just a little nitrogen in one spot. And so you want a nice, evenly green lawn. You're going to probably fertilize it anyway. Uh, so I... Nah, I'm um, just letting it be natural. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, yeah. The ne- other negative of it is, or the negative of it is that clover's a weed in your grass. And so anytime you have something growing, it's competing for light, nutrients, and water, uh, especially the light aspect. And so that would be a little bit of a drawback for it, uh, but... If you want to leave it, uh, you certainly can leave it. And and would I, if I did pull it, would it be any utility as like a mulch where I could bury, turn it, turn it over and over, and then that adds yeah. mulchiness? No, well, I mean it's a plant, so you could you could use it as a um, a, a green. Uh, a component of a compost mix. You could use it as a dried plant, as a mulch. I don't know how how that would look, but uh, mm-hmm. better to chop it up a little bit uh, for that. Okay. And does it spread more through its little flowers, making some kind of seed, or is yes. it a ground runner? It, it, it no. It's all. It's all. It's an. Well, it's actually a biennial plant. And it's growing uh, out of a little taproot, and uh, it's it's on top of the ground. That that's it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So, all right. Thank you very much. I, Have a happy holiday and a good new year. Well, I think you're convinced to leave it, but let me give you one quick one in closing. And that is that anytime you have those little weeds, a lot of them have flowers that attract bees and support pollinators, and clover is one of those. So that's another. We need to more keep for it. the bees. There you go. Uh, thank All you, right. sir. All right. You take care. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you very much. You're listening to Garden Success, and our phone number is 845-5689. If you happen to be listening outside the area, it's uh, 979-845-5689. You can also reach me by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Garden Success, one word, at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. 
uh, I, w I go into the email. Beth had a question about uh, an apple tree uh, that doesn't look like it's in good shape. As uh, she said, is, is it even is it even dead? Uh, it went down over this summer, as did a lot of our plants uh, over the time. But then, uh, let's see, they've had it for seven years, and uh, as I look at them, I see no green growth on uh, the one, and uh, let's see, a little shoot. Oh, okay. Uh, the shoot coming up from the base is probably a rootstock, a rootstock shoot. Uh, if, yeah, that looks like it's an apple, but it's a rootstock, so you would have to graft it to keep it. Uh, my assessment is the tree's probably dead. When you scrape the bark back at the bottom, just take a knife and scrape back. You don't have to go very deep in two or three places around the plant, and if there's no cream color or uh, kind of a chart light chartreuse green color, uh, then that tree is dead, and, and the drought we had is probably the cause of it. Uh, it Apple trees, they do pretty well, but uh, not with the kind of weather we went through this summer. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news there, Beth. Uh, but I think that's that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, we've had a lot of frustrating losses of plants uh, through this, this um, past summer. And when you go for that many days, that hot, no rain, it's just way too much uh, to be able to be able to do. Uh, let's see, I had a question. Uh, the question came from Lee, and it's about uh, doing a landscape bed in a fairly poor soil. And the question was, if you should, should we excavate down six inches to remove soil and clay and any existing root systems, uh, spread gypsum over the new soil and till it in, and then fill back the bed with premium mix. Uh, and my suggestion would be, uh, don't do the excavating. That's not going to help, uh, uh, really. Uh, I would, if if your soil is a tight clay, and here where we have high sodium water, for those of you listening outside the Bryan College Station area that probably don't have high sodium water, uh, this gypsum is not a thing that just fixes clays. It's a thing that fixes clays that have sodium problems. And so I would throw the gypsum over it and rototill it in. I'd put a little bed mix on it, till it again, or spade it in again, just to kind of create more of a, a gradual transition between the nice bed mix and the heavy clay below. And then add more bed mix to raise that bed up as, as high as you wish to do. Uh, I think that's the approach that I, I would take for that. Well, let's uh, go to the phones again. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan. Hello, Dan. Hey, Skip. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I have I have an indoor aphid series of questions for you. Okay. Uh, so I've moved a bunch of chili plants uh, indoors under lights to see if I can keep them fruiting uh, all winter long before next spring. Mm -hmm. And um, I had one plant with a few little aphids on it, so I tried squishing them and uh, spraying them off. The plants are all very close to each other, touching and uh, now they all have aphids. Yeah. Did I actually just spray the aphids to distribute them amongst the other plants? Uh, probably not. They they have a way of getting around like that. There's even a, a part of a generation that has wings that can fly. Uh, I would, I would. Uh, these are in containers indoors, right? Yep. Okay. I, if you can, the, the hard part about this is not making a mess, but if you could find a way to kind of, put something over the soil so you could lay the plant on its side uh, and either in a, a shower or even in a bathtub, 
uh, spray a, a, a insecticidal soap on those leaves. You got to spray the bottoms of the leaves. But if you do a good job, get complete coverage at the right label rate, rate in terms of concentration, that'll pretty much knock them out. You'll have a few that survive, and if you see them becoming a problem, you could do that again later. Uh, but insecticidal soap works really well, and you can just you know wash it down the drain. I mean, it's soap basically is all that it is. Yeah, I've been getting all up in there on each of them almost okay. daily with neem oil. Okay. Um, which seems to get rid of a lot of them. Yeah. Um, is, is there any risk of over-neeming? There's a risk of over-neeming and over-soaping. When you apply over and over and over again uh, the soap, uh, it actually affects the plants in a negative way. You know, a few, few applications isn't a problem over time, but overdoing it can affect plants. Uh, and without going into any more detail on that, as far as the neem, that's an oil. And, uh, you know, there, there are restrictions on oil. A plant cannot freeze right after you've applied oil. That's not good. Uh, and in the case of peppers, they would be killed by the freeze anyway. Uh, a plant, uh, when you overdo it, just continue to overdo the oil, it, it's just not good uh, for the plants. That's why I like to just use an insecticidal soap. And if you want to wash it off later, you can, but you don't need to. Okay. You could also take and them outside and do that, by the way, too. Yeah, as I'm... Um handling them and spraying the underside of the leaves with either soap or neem oil. I'm will sorry. The one, uh, will, will the ones that are on my fingers and hands all gross? If I move to another plant, will, will they be sort of dead on contact, or do I have to wash my hands in between each one? Yeah. Well, I would just probably rinse them off. I don't know. I mean, if dead on contact in time, not instantly. You know, it's not like... Yeah, it's not instant, but when when the body of an aphid is coated in soapy water mixed at the proper dilution, it eats away at the uh, some of the cuticle on the surface of the insect. If you and uh, that that brings about the death, that and probably some other ac actions inside. Uh, so I, I wouldn't, you know, if you transported a a soap <laughs> soaked aphid. Uh, to a new plant, uh, it it wouldn't have a future anyway. But I don't know. I just I generally rinse off. And then last question: Do you have a an idea about the life cycle length of the aphids? Like you know, after what period of time should I expect the populations to go down? Well, aphids, uh, of course, aphids are hundreds and hundreds of species of, of right. insects and they're not all exactly the same but uh, for the kind we have in our gardens I believe I was gonna say a 21 day life cycle that may be too long uh, here's the thing aphids can be born pregnant uh, live birth pregnant that give live birth without mating they're already pregnant when they're born and it's weird uh, but that enables them to have the population explosion that that we see uh, and it, it doesn't take them long because when you get one that has babies and those babies are growing up, I think it's a 21 day, but uh, then they're having babies and while the other one is still having baby. You see what I'm saying? It just it just is yeah. astronomical the multiplication factor. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the middle of this. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just just do it once. Watch them a little bit. If if you still see some living aphids after, let's say about 
two two days after, three days after. Uh, check them out over, and if you do, then just do it again. Cool. All, All right. right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Dan. Thank you for the call. Thanks. I pre- I appreciate. Bye. Appreciate your call. Uh, looking uh, on the uh, emails, and by the way, our email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu, and our phone number is 979-845-5689. I'm going to go to the emails right now. I had an email from Brittany. Um, Brittany's got some squash, went through a freeze, although it was covered, and it's got now some dead spots on the leaves. Uh, and when I, when I look at the photos that, that you sent, Brittany, the um, the areas between the leaf that are dead, that's probably cold damage. When we have marginal freeze temperatures, when, when it's like a yeah, plant may make it through, may not, uh, the parts that get burned are the thinnest parts of the leaf. That's where I've noticed the damage is worse. Now, if you have a hard freeze, it's going to kill the whole leaf. But uh, when you get a little marginal, that could be on those thinner parts, which is in between the vein. Uh, and I see that pattern on what you have. I also see evidence of some some leaf spot diseases, uh, various types. You know, at this point in the season, there's it, it, there's not much time left, and the growth rate of squash is so slow that uh, you're not going to get a lot of extra production on them. Uh, but uh, if you, I wouldn't worry about the disease part. I would, I would just uh, do what you can to keep them as warm as you can. And that's not, if you're trying to get a crop of squash out of these, a few more squash, uh, that's not just um, preventing a freeze night. It means during normal weather, instead of it being 59 or 60 degrees or 65 degrees is a high for the day. Uh, having some clear plastic over to kind of warm it up a little bit more, make it more like squash weather. Uh, the only thing is with clear plastic, you have to allow heat to escape. On a sunny day, it'll cook them inside there. So, Brittany, that would be my advice for you. We're going to go now to the phones and talk to Ken. Hello, Ken. Hey, Skip. Uh, I just have a question and see if anybody has information about this. I've noticed driving around town, like all along Welburn, over on uh, Villa Maria uh, near Blinn, cedar trees have just been dying all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and it just seemed like all at once, they, they most of them made it through the summer, it seemed, and I didn't see them start to go go down until oh maybe in the end of september and it seems like they're just all over the place okay is it is it just drought or heat or or is there some kind of insect infestation that's yeah that's getting those things because some of them are 30 40 feet high mature trees right. that have made it through past droughts and right. i was just wondering yeah that's that's true um so I'll answer you. It, it probably won't be a totally satisfactory answer because I've answered this for a lot of people that call the extension office. And, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, why didn't it happen last year or why didn't it happen three years ago? But it, it's not a disease or an insect as the initial problem. Now, if a plant got yeah. weakened, then problems can move in to exacerbate it. But on these cedars, uh, it's happening all over the place. So we didn't suddenly just have a countywide insect infestation or a countywide disease mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. soil infestation. Uh, so it is related to the heat and the drought. And, uh, you know, trees reach a tipping point. And 
I like that analogy. In fact, the analogy I use for folks is uh, imagine you're standing on the edge of a table or a stool and you lean forward mm. a little and you lean forward a little and you lean forward and you're still mm. not falling, but you hit this little, you know, quarter inch move where suddenly now you're going off the table no matter what. You know what I mean? Okay. And mm. and that's kind of what can happen with plants as they get stressed and weakened, especially just need, absolutely need water because the demands of heat are there. Those cedars can take our heat. They don't like it like this summer, but they can take it. But when mm-hmm. you combine that with drought, it just it's just too much. Now, maybe the forestry folks will determine something else was going on in the mix. But pretty much uh-huh. right now, I'm just saying it, it's just heat and drought and for yeah. whatever reason, this year, uh, you know, was worse. Maybe it's because they were already weakened by last summer's heat and drought. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because it just seems so strange that they've made it through all this other, and all of a sudden, yeah. all over town, I'm seeing hundreds of these mature cedar trees go down. Yeah, I know. It's it's uh, it's pretty severe, and that it's just unheard of for us to lose that many, at least in all my years, I've never, never seen. Yeah, seen it's it. like all along the railroad track, you know, down Wellburn and stuff. There, are yeah, lots of them everywhere. I see them everywhere. Right. Okay, and I well, would thanks. think I just thought you might have some information. Yeah, well, there's there's Why? a lot of combining factors too, Ken, and and you know I mm-hmm. could tell them to you, but someone would go, well, that's not that didn't apply to my tree. But uh, if yeah. if a tree is in a place where it has a certain dependable water supply, maybe it's a little bit of a slough, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, whatever. And then we go into that drought and we don't get the rains or whatever where it was getting moisture. Its whole root system is dependent on that more so than a tree that might be in a more droughty environment naturally. Uh, And just a little less resilient. When I was growing up, we had a, uh, I thought it was a tree, it was probably just a big bush, but outside the window where gray water from the kitchen sink went out and watered that tree. Mm -hmm. It was big and beautiful and wonderful. We moved away from that house and nobody moved in. Uh, And within a year it was dead because it had built that whole root system around that dependable daily water supply that suddenly Mm -hmm. now was cut off and it's a little too late for the tree to regroup and send roots in other places. Okay. All well, right. thanks so much for your answer. You bet. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate your call. Thanks for listening okay. to the show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our phone number, 979 uh, 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Bev uh, sent uh, an interesting picture. She bought a bag of Bosque pears, uh, and when she got into it, one of the pair had two yellow stripes. And uh, that now Bosque is a little bit of a rough edge pair, a little bit, uh, but it looks like a Bartlett uh, to, to her. And because the, how do I describe this? If you were to take a pair and stand it up on end and take a Bosque pair that's normally very russeted, very brown on the outside, and then you were to paint a strip that starts at the stem end where the pair connected all the way to the base of the pair and it just gets wider as it gets to the base and do that in more than one spot that's what it looks like and i think what i what i think you have there is a chimera a chimera is a genetic change that often occurs and affects a portion of of a fruit uh, you will, let's see, what are some other examples of chimeras that you might see? Uh, you, you might see an orange, 
and one section of the orange, the skin is raised up and thicker than other sections. There's a lot of other examples. I think that's what it is. Uh, so why would that happen? You know, what what's going on there? Uh, I don't know. It's other than a genetic thing. It's not a common thing, but it's not a thing that's extremely rare. Chimeras can occur in nature. Uh, and uh, it's just a genetic change. Uh, that is my best assessment. Nothing else, insect or disease related, would cause that unique striping on that uh, on that pair uh, that I that I know of. Uh, Bev, if anybody, Hort Department or something, fruit specialist listening and has another thought, I'd I'd sure like to hear it. But I, I I'm pretty sure that's that's what we're dealing with. We um. Uh, we have a lot of uh, unique things in nature. Another thing that's kind of unique is called fasciation. And that is where what is normally a round, skinny bloom stalk, uh, it, multi it becomes a wide, like, flat fan. You know, the old fans that people, hand fans, they fan themselves with. It sort of does that. And, and you see this, I've seen it on uh, blue bonnets. Uh, where instead of a normal little cyl cylindrical bloom, it's got this flattened uh, bloom that kind of gets wider as it goes outward. Uh, and un that's kind of unusual for that. I've seen it uh, on, uh, uh, let's see, not coleus, with, uh, what was it? Celosia. I've seen it on Celosia before, and it occurs on a lot of different plants. Uh, but it is that is something going on that's that's messing with the genetics in that particular uh, particular thing, but just another unusual st uh, thing that we deal with with nature. Very, very cool, I think. Uh, let's see, our phone number is 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. I had a, a question uh, came in from Chris about an oak tree, and this oak tree is out in a pasture, and if you look at it, it's got a lot of green leaves, but the peripheral leaves, especially at the top, in a couple of sections, are leafless, are becoming leafless as the leaves fall off. And the question is, you know, what's causing it? And uh, can you write about uh, the freeze being a beginning? I think that uh, the freeze we had in February of 21, it did cause some significant damage, even to trees that lived through it, uh, where you may see bark splitting or other tissue problems that then may progress into losing that branch. Uh, that's a possibility. Certainly the drought's a possibility. Now our live oaks are amazingly drought resilient once established. Uh, they do pretty good. Uh, but I think we're looking at a combination of factors. This is out in the pasture. Uh, but when you when you see peripheral things, and, and this happens in yard trees a lot, a tree will start to die back, and then you'll see re-sprouting coming from the trunk or the major branches. It's very unusual looking. Call it trunk sprouting, but it can occur on major branches too. And uh, if I can anthropomorphize a little bit, it's like the tree is saying, hey, I can't support this whole canopy. I'm going to give all this up in the back, and, and then I'm going to kind of regroup and pull back and regroup. And then when conditions are a little better, try re-sprouting from a little further inside the canopy. <laughs> no tree thinks like that, but uh, that's almost uh, the survival mechanism that seems to be at, at play in that. But I tell you, I wish I had a nickel for every, why is my tree dying? Uh, I could be 
uh, a millionaire from this year. It's been crazy, crazy, the amount of uh, tree problems that uh, people have had, and lawn problems. A lot of lawns have been lost. While I'm talking about lawns, I just want to remind you, in fact, this goes for trees too, when plants get weakened, that opens the door to secondary problems. So for your lawn, drought stress on your lawn, the misuse of certain weed killers on your lawn also stresses them. And following that, we often see take-all root rot become a problem that's killing the lawn. Uh, but it is an opportunist. It's not like just because the take-all is present in a lawn that the whole lawn starts dying. But when, uh, when it has the chance, uh, it will take it. And a stressed lawn invites, uh, exacerbates the problem with take-all root rot. Uh, so I suspect we're going to see more take-all than normal this coming year. Uh, that's just my guess. Uh, but I've been doing this long enough to have seen it. So I think think I'm right about that. Uh, with trees, a disease called hypoxylin canker attacks many species of trees. We see it mostly on oaks, but it can occur on elm and I believe sycamore too. Uh, but hypoxylin canker is present out there in the forest with the trees. And when a tree gets stressed, hypoxylin moves in, has the upper hand, the tree's defenses are not able to battle it, and it it just takes over and it kills it. Typically kills major, large branch sections of the tree. And from my experience, almost more often than not, the whole tree itself. And so hypoxylin canker, again, an opportunist, we should be seeing those problems. So if you have a an oak, I don't see it on live oak. I, I'm, I would think it could attack live oak but I just don't, haven't seen it to my knowledge on live oak. But red oaks and white oaks and things like that, you will see it on, as well as some other species of trees that are out there. If you go to the website for the State Plant Clinic, Dr. Ong's uh, is the leader there of the uh, State Plant Clinic, and it, the website is easy. It's just plantclinic.tamu.edu, plantclinic tamu.edu. And if you go down into the plant disease resources, it's part of the ribbon right across the top, so over to the right, uh, they have a number of fact sheets uh, that you can look at. And if I'm not mistaken, hypoxylin is one of those. I'm just checking it right now, uh, and I'm not seeing it, but I could swear that it was there. Uh, if you don't find it there, interesting. If you don't find it there, go to the AgriLife bookstore. That is um, AgriLife Learn, A-G-R-I-L-I-F-E-L-E-A-R-N, agrilifelearn.tamu.edu, and put hypoxylin, and it's, uh, let's see, H-Y-P-O-X-A-L-I, let me, let me test, pardon? L-O-N, H-Y-P-O-X, hi. H-Y-P-O-X-A-L-O-N, I believe. I need to, you know, I can spell, uh, but not when I'm on the radio and trying to do it under pressure. Uh, uh, yeah, H-Y-P-O-X-Y-L-O-N, hypox, P-O-X-Y-L-O-N, hypoxylin canker. And there you can find uh, a free fact sheet uh, that you can download on hypoxylin, uh, which is kind of nice to be able to do. 
AgriLife Bookstore is loaded with a lot of good information on there. I encourage you to always check that out. Oh, that one bookmarked because, I mean, you may get in there and decide, yeah, you know, I, I need to do a search for uh, managing uh, pantry pests or I need to do a search for uh, in indoor control of roaches in the house or whatever. You know, holidays are coming up and, you know, when grandma comes over and a roach runs across the floor, we cannot traumatize grandma to that degree. So you need to get ahead of that <laughs> with checking out the roach control publication. <laughs> so anyway, okay, we're having fun. Sort of, at least one of us is. Uh, you're listening to Garden Success. Phone number 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the Vegetable Garden Planting Guide. Now, December, when you go to, uh, if you go to the website, brazosmg.org, brazosmg.org, you will find the Vegetable Garden Planting Guide there. You have to click through local information and edibles. Uh, but it's a big chart with green boxes on it. That's how they know you found the right place. If you can't find it there, call the Brazos County Extension Office and just say, hey, I need a copy of this. And they can send you one, email you one, a PDF version. Uh, but if you look at December, there's a lot of white space, meaning don't plant. And then there's a lot of light green space quite a bit of light green space, meaning eh, it's not the best time in the world, but it's okay. Uh, and so cool season crops like broccoli, you know, and, and uh, kohlrabi and those kinds of things, they're best planted in early fall to mid fall. Uh, and that way they get their growing done in production before things get really cold and hard freezes can, can show up because even a really hard freeze can, uh, can even affect those kind of plants. So we have them there. You're just going to have to do marginally. But when we get to January, that's when we begin planting for the warms, uh, the cool season crops for spring. So that would be uh, asparagus. If you're going to plant asparagus, dormant crowns, uh, it's not easy to find dormant crowns of artichokes, but that's a good time to plant those. And then those cruciferous vegetables, the blue leaf vegetables, um, that would be broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kale, kohlrabi, cauliflower. What am I forgetting? Brussels, I said Brussels sprouts. There's something else that's not in that list. Uh, but anyway, those, those are all planted in January and February. Uh, so that this would be a time to order seeds, to grow your own transplants, or just to plan on getting out and buying transplants of those. Uh, I think collards may have been one that I didn't mention. That's a coal crop. Uh, we can be putting out transplants of onions and leeks as well uh, in the January to early February uh, time period here in this particular area. Uh, and then, of course, spinach, which is quite cold hardy, uh, we can do that. But on all these plants, uh, even though they're winter vegetables, remember that they don't want freezing weather. They want to avoid hot weather. Uh, they like cooler temperatures, milder temperatures, and that's when they do their best and their best growing. So don't assume that because spinach is pretty hardy that it's going to grow well in in th those kind of cold conditions. It just the growth rate slows down a lot. And so uh, if you can do something to help protect them to make it a little warmer, they will do much better. And I mentioned earlier the publication on frosts and freezes, protecting gardens and landscape plants from frosts and freezes uh, that uh, we put out here with AgriLife. And I and get a copy of it. Find out how to do it. Because you can garden all winter 
here in the Bryan College Station area. Uh, this, yes, we have freezes where you have to cover the plants, but the rest of the time you can grow things without a big concern. And in fact, if you put a little bit of uh, something over the plants to keep them a little warmer, uh, they'll even grow quickly and do pretty well. So for example, uh, maybe you put, what I, what I do in my garden is put PVC hoops down the row. You buy a section of PVC, stick it in the ground on one end, stick it in the ground on the other end, and just make those hoops all the way down the row about four feet apart. Uh, put plastic over it. Uh, I use a, a long PVC pole tied to each of the hoops to keep them from moving around. Uh, I put plastic over it and it, it really warms up a lot. In fact, on sunny days, you have to open it up to let the excess heat escape uh, for them to do well. But when you do that and you do that over the winter, you're going to see really good, fast growth on, on your plants. We're also entering the time when we think of uh, bare root fruit tree planting. You can plant container trees any time of the year, but once we hit January, February, early February, that is when we do most of our bare root planting. So if you're thinking about adding fruit to your landscape, and I think you should, uh, there are a lot of great fruit publications out there for free on the Aggie Horticulture website. It's aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu or just do a search for Aggie Horticulture. And when you get there, you'll see the fruit tree uh, button on the front page. Click on it and what do you want to grow? There's a publication on everything. Apples, blackberries, grapes, uh, uh, figs, citrus plants, uh, plums, persimmons, peaches, uh, let's see what else, uh, blueberries are even on there. Uh, I wouldn't recommend them for this area, but you could. Strawberries and so on. There's publications on all these things and you can learn how to grow and what varieties you want. And It's very important when you're planting fruit, I don't care where you are, not just this area, to pick varieties that have a um, chilling hour requirement that matches the chilling hours you naturally receive in your area. For us around here, I would say probably be uh, about 550 would be I'd aim for that. 500, a little on the low side, but okay still. Uh, and then you get up to 600, that's okay. Uh, that's good. That's okay too. Uh, but the further you get outside that range, like if you had a really high chill peach and we had a really low chill year, you would get no fruit. You would get hardly any growth. It would be very difficult for that tree. If you have a very low chill peach, for example, it thinks winter's over and we're just barely getting into January. So the first warm day you have, here come the blooms and uh-oh, we lost the crop uh, for that reason. So it's important to match those two. When you download the Aggie Horticulture publication uh, on fruit, the, uh, the type of fruit you're interested in, it's going to tell you all about the, that, as well as how to prune, how to prune and maintain uh, different kinds of fruit. Uh, as well. Uh, it's still a good time to be planting woody ornamentals in the garden. Still a good time to be planting perennials in the garden. Uh, the sooner you get things in, the more time they have to establish before the hot weather arrives next year, and we know it will. Uh, hopefully not like this year, but you know, we know it will. Uh, if you're not sure if fruit uh, if the drainage is adequate in an area and you're, you know, almost every plant 
needs excellent drainage or it wants excellent drainage. There are a few things that can live in a swamp, but that's the exception. Soggy soil is not good. You can do a little test. It's real easy to do. You go out in your yard and uh, you just dig a post hole about, mm, well, ideally, if you could go 24 inches deep, that would be good. Uh, you fill it up with water. And you want to do this when the soil is just not powder dry. I mean, and now the soil is not powder dry. Uh, fill it with water and then check back to see how long does it take the water to drain out of the hole. If it's less than eight hours, that's great drainage. You're not going to find a lot of that in this area. 18 to 24 hours, like a full day, 24 hours is good drainage, up to a full day. And then if it's going to take two or three days, that's fair. And if it's taking more than three, that's just flat poor drainage. It's as simple as that. And so when you when you do that test, uh, it will tell you that, hey, I, I really want to grow a peach tree, and this is the only spot I got. You're going to have to bring in a mound of soil, a significant mound of soil. I would say at the top of the mound, I would aim for over a foot high. It's going to settle down. Uh, and not be as high it was as when you first did it. Uh, and so if you if you bring in that soil and create, I've seen people use a box, a uh, box with timber, uh, making a big square box to fill up with that mix and plant in. I've seen people just make a mound, kind of like a pitcher's mound looking thing out there in the yard. But you need to make it as large as you can. So I would say if you can make it 10 feet across, that would be probably a pretty good thing to aim for. If it's only eight feet across, eh, that's better than nothing. Uh, but give it plenty of soil. You know, your your dreams are up there. You're already tasting the peach or plum or pear, or whatever you're going to plant. Uh, you don't want to be disappointed and down the line realize that, yeah, it just didn't have good drainage. So check it out ahead of time. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. Uh, if you would like to give us a call, please do so. We're going to go right now to talk to Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hi. Um, I think it was last week uh, you mentioned a book on uh, that some woman wrote on growing plants indoors, and I didn't have anything to write down the name of the the book or the author, could you repeat that? Um, if I mentioned, I need you to turn your radio down there. If I mentioned a book like that, that would have been Leslie Halleck. Uh, and I, I'm going to, I'm trying to find, uh, trying to find uh, the book. I think it's called Plant Parenting. That would have been the one that I would have recommended. Uh, let me just see if I can pull it up here. It's Les or the website is Leslie L E S L I E H A L L E C K Halleck. LeslieHalleck.com. Uh so looking here, she's got yeah, she's got plant parenting. That's the one. Uh by the way, if you're interested in growing uh plants underneath artificial lighting, you want some yeah. help and ideas on that, she's got another book that's outstanding called Gardening Under Lights. Both oh, of those. One, that's the one, Gardening Oh, is that it? Lights. Gardening Under Lights. That's a, that is, you know, you could use it for, I want to start lettuce seedlings or whatever, or you could use it for just, yes. uh, I want my house, I need to boost things so this house plant does better here because there's not enough natural light. But it, okay. it, but it helps you understand why, why and how, and that's important. Okay. All righty. 
you buy them from her website or? Uh, yeah, she has Amazon? them for sale on her website. Well, they're probably on Amazon, uh, too. You could do it either way. I okay. Haven't, I haven't price compared between those two. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, she's an excellent horticulturist. Very professional. All right, we're now going to go to the phones and talk to Debbie. Hello, Debbie. Hello. How can we help today? We have recently visited the Leech Gardens, which are beautiful. Aren't and they? we saw some Arctic, they are, some Arctic frost mandarins and um, orange frost mandarins that were developed by A&M. And we've tried to find an opportunity to purchase them from the web, but we aren't being successful. Do you know how we can purchase those? Uh, do you live in Bryan College Station area? Yes. I'd give them a call down at the farm patch and see. Uh, they do get citrus in there. Uh, I, I don't know if they can get specifically those varieties, but there's a good chance they could. I would start there. Okay. Uh, and, uh, Great. Just trying to think on those. You might try producers co-op when they get there, but you'd almost need to call them soon because they need to get it in with an order uh, for sure uh, and try those. And other than that, uh, you're a little bit up a creek, and here's why. Uh, all citrus is in the Houston area, the Harris County, Montgomery County, Fort Bend County, and a couple of other counties down there is quarantined uh, because of a problem they ran into years ago. Uh, and so you can't go buy a tree there and bring it up here. So, it, oh, yeah, can't leave the county know. with those citrus. And so that that's the challenge. Otherwise, I could tell you 10 nurseries in the Houston area that are probably going to have it. Maybe not 10, but you get the idea. Uh, if you have yeah. more trouble finding it, I, you know, let us know. Send me an email. Uh, maybe okay. maybe we can find another source. I'm just trying to think, you know, as you drive outward from here up, yeah, it's just, it's hard to find a great garden center without driving a long way. Well, so. and I think we'd be willing to drive, but I think what you may have just said is that it, we shouldn't bring them back because of that quarantine. Yes. There is a company called Brazos Citrus Nursery in okay. Brazoria County, I believe, that okay. uh, it, you they're not retail, they're wholesale, but you could call them and say, hey, where can I find these? Who do you, what retailer do you sell to anywhere up direction of College Station? And they probably could direct you there. Uh, there's another company that a lot of our local citrus for sale here in Bryan College Station comes from. Oh my gosh, I can't say the name. It's a, it's a Louisiana company. Uh, Bracy's okay. is it Bracy's? I think it's Bracy's. Uh, so you could ask them the same question, but I'd st I'd start local with the places I mentioned and then go from there. I will do. And you said the other was Brazos citrus. Yeah, Brazos citrus. Mm -hmm. All right. I really appreciate your help. Thank you. All right. You bet. Thank you very much for the call, Debbie. Our phone number, 979-845-5689. Good night. It's uh, seven minutes left in the show today. Holy mackerel. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, right? But you know what Kermit the Frog said? He says time's fun when you're having flies. I'm just saying. That's a little twist on that. If you uh, love dad jokes, come see me. I've got tons. Trust me. I'm talking eye roller material. You know, the kids are guaranteed to throw their head back, roll their eyes, and say, Duh, uh, Dad. <laughs> 
Well, I'm gonna, I've been talking about some different things, uh, planting and coal protection. Uh, I do want to encourage you to get ready for coal protection if you have plants that are likely to need protecting. That would include citrus trees. Could even include a, a, a fig tree if you don't want to lose some of the top growth in a real hard freeze. Your vegetables, your flowers, uh, even the winter ones, yes, they can get cold damage under certain conditions. So that what does that mean? Well, it means buying something to cover them up with, some materials, so you're ready to go and you have an adequate amount of it. Uh, it would mean, when things are shrubs and trees, having a little clamp light, one of those little aluminum-shielded clamp lights with, I would put a 150-watt floodlight in it. That produces a little bit of heat. And clamped underneath a cover where air cannot escape. It's dead air space. A breeze can't blow through and take all the heat out. Uh, put underneath a cover, sealed to the ground, then that can provide a lot of help. Because uh, remember, we're not trying to keep them warm. We're just trying to keep them above 32 degrees. Uh, so they provide a lot of help for that. Uh, and I would encourage you to go ahead and buy it now because, you know, when the cold front hits and it's 6 p.m. and you're running through a store trying to find the stuff and everybody else has cleaned them out, not good, not good. But download that publication first, learn a little bit about it, and there there is much that we can do to protect our plants. We just have to be ready ahead of time uh, to be able to do that. Uh, discussing, you know, things that uh, I think are, are timely topics. Everybody's got the the uh, various kinds of holiday plants probably around. Maybe it's a poinsettia. Maybe it's a, a Thanksgiving cactus or Christmas cactus. Uh, maybe it's a cyclamen. Or maybe you purchased a topiary rosemary that's shaped like a little Christmas tree, for example. Uh, anytime you have plants indoors, you need to keep them adequately moist without keeping them soggy wet. So what does that mean? Well, what that means would be, for example, uh, I take my poinsettias out of their container, put them in the sink, give them a good soaking, let it fully drain out, put them back in that sleeve, that plastic foil or uh, colored plastic sleeve for decor decorating. Uh, and that way you don't overwater them. But check them periodically. They they dry out pretty fast. And once they do, they will drop leaves in a heartbeat. And you can't get the leaves back on them after that. They're, they're done. Uh, so take them and take care of them like that. Holiday cactus does not want to be soggy wet, but it does need adequate moisture. If it gets a little on the dry side, it will throw off all of those beautiful blooms you bought it with. And then you're, you know, you still have a plant. Hang on to it. it you can get it to bloom next year. In fact, I've got several at the house there where a branch broke off and I stuck it in a container or I on purpose broke off some branches and l those little stem sections, they, people would call them leaves, but they're really flattened stem sections, and put those in the ground and they are blooming. They are bl absolutely blooming. Uh, and so we can talk about that another time as to how to make things like that bloom. Uh, but it's important to take care of them. Things that need a lot of light that you hope to keep as a long-term plant, that may be a cyclamen that you want to carry on through the winter. Uh, a rosemary, for sure. They get really lanky in the super low light levels indoors. So if you can put them out, the more you can put them outside and let them get sunlight, the better off they'll be. Even just the brighter, not direct sun outdoors would be very helpful for them. Uh, and so give them some time outdoors. Uh, and when the holidays are over, you can take that plant and put it in a very large container. Uh, you can put it in the ground. Uh, rosemary is a wonderful plant to grow here. 
and uh, it just you just got to take care of it uh, through that cool season. Uh, and so, w when you're when you're dealing with your plants like that, just a little TLC really helps. Now, I want to uh, mention a couple of other things, and that and that regards gifting of plants and plant-related stuff. And I only got a couple of minutes here left, but. Uh, if you have gardeners on your list, there are so many great plants that you can give. Uh, and a thing I like about a plant is it's a memory of a person and a relationship. So, for example, if someone gave you a beautiful rose bush and you planted it, every time you look at that rose bush, you think about the person that gave you that gift. Uh, and I think that's a cool way to do it. Um, and in future, we're, we're way short on time for this this year, but in future years, maybe there is a, a family plant like Grandma's Rosebush that you could take cuttings from and start and get them growing. And what a great gift for everybody in the family that remembers Grandma's uh, Rosebush, for example. Roses are a great gift plant. Tools are also welcome for gardeners. The kneeling bench, uh, folding kneeling bench, is super cool. You sit on it. It's got a padded seat, or you flip it over and kneel on it, and it has what was the legs now become handles to help you get up from your knees. Very good gift. A soil knife, also called a, I don't know how, if it's pronounced hori or ori, but H-O-R-I, H-O-R-I, hori hori, knife, soil knife. Those are really handy tools. I like them a lot. A quality set of pruners. It's going to last a long time. Uh, for people that aren't gardeners on your list, but you want to give them an outdoor thing, how about a, a nice bird feeder or a hummingbird feeder? Some beautiful versions of those out there that would be really nice. So many kinds of bird feeders. Uh, and uh, so that is just an example of things that maybe people that aren't outdoor uh, gardeners would still enjoy. Lots of good options. Well, you've been listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter, and we're here to answer gardening questions every Thursday from 12 to 1 on KAMU-FM. Now, I'm going to be uh, taking a little time off during the holidays, uh, so we'll have some recorded shows here for a while, but Garden Success will continue on after that. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.